So, oh, it's a bit loud, eh? So last week, Pastor Andrew was with us. That was a blessed time. And he preached on, if you can remember, wearing the armor of God. And how important it is that we recognize that we are in a fight. Um, And it's a fight that we need to be prepared for. And recognizing again also that the days that we are in now, following on in the the series that we come out of, the days that we are in are evil, and so we need to dress appropriately. And so in recognizing that, we see that God gives us His own armor to wear, which is incredible. And so this evening, as we are, we are drawing close to the end of this year, Angie and I were chatting earlier on in the week, what can we, what can we dig into this evening? And we thought about the fact that we are drawing closer to the end of the year. And so I thought, let's, th- let's talk about, about what it takes to finish well. And so I, I don't want to keep us very long. I, I know that we still want to celebrate with the volunteers at the end. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'll try and finish well. Do you guys know what this man is famous for? Many, most, many of us here should recognize who he is. So, so there is a picture of Elliot Kipchoge. And Elliot Kipchoge is a Kenyan. In fact, I was speaking to Angela's dad a few weeks back, and he said to me that Elliot is actually from the village next over from where he is from in Kenya. So they're not too far away from where, from where Stanley and, and um, Angela's ancestors are from. So he's from that part of Kenya. And what's dynamic about this man is that he is the very best marathon runner of all time. Of all time. In the history of running, they say. And he's, and he's famous because on the 12th of October, a little bit more than a month ago, he became the very first person to run a marathon under two hours with a time of one hour, 59 and 40 seconds. And most people believe that it was, splits, and most people believe that it was humanly impossible to run a marathon under two hours despite the advances in equipment, despite the advances in nutrition, despite the advances in training. A previous world record holder for the marathon event said this. For those of you who aren't too sure about marathon, a marathon is 42.2 kilometers long. So a previous world record holder for the marathon event said this. I believe records are said to be broken and to fall lower is possible. But what remains impossible is running a marathon under two hours. So previous record holders said that what he did was impossible. And so it is an extremely dynamic achievement for him. And people now are actually comparing how groundbreaking what he did is. They're actually comparing it to Edmund Hillary summiting Mount Everest for the first time or man setting foot on the moon 
for the first time. A commentator at the end of the race said this about his achievement. He said, of the seven billion people on earth, Eliot Kipchoge, through a combination of genetics, heritage, science, and timing, was that one person who could achieve this. Wow. But how was his achievement possible? And that's what I would like for us to focus on. It was possible because everything was meticulously planned with purpose. Firstly, his training. His training started seven months in advance in Kenya, where the air is thin, which conditions the body to be able to cope with lower oxygen levels, which would improve his performance for when he ran at the lower altitude on race day. He would run an average of 225 kilometers a week. And that equates to about five marathons a week. All he did was eat, sleep, and run. Because he would need to run at 21 kilometers an hour on average over that 42 kilometers. Secondly, on race day, he had a team of 41 elite pace runners who were Olympic athletes in their own right. In fact, some of them record holders themselves. And they would help set the pace. You could see how they ran in formation there on the bottom right. They would help set the pace, shelter him from the wind, as well as offer moral support. And they would swap out regularly so that they would be as fresh as possible, with seven of them running with him at one time. Thirdly, they followed a pace car. Um, cruise control wasn't accurate enough to ensure that they would be running at the exact speed necessary to achieve the goal of running a marathon under two hours. And the car fired a laser beam guide onto the road ahead of them to show them exactly where they needed to run and how fast they needed to run to stay on pace. The course that was chosen to run the attempt was very flat and comprised of a circuit that he ran four times. Water was passed onto him from a bicycle and after he drank water, it was measured to see how much he drank to ensure that he was perfectly hydrated. Nike had designed a special shoe for him that has a curved footplate, so the runner can roll their foot instead of bending their toes backwards with each stride. Apparently they claim that it's more efficient and he would expend less energy with each stride. Wow. All of this preparation, all of the planning, the training, the equipment design, the nutrition, the teamwork, the sacrifice, all of these things were put in place so that he could finish well. 
the ultimate prize and end goal was what motivated the team and Kipchoge to press on. Now in Scripture, the metaphor of comparing the Christian life to a race that is being run is used quite often. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. 1 Corinthians 9.24-27 Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Galatians 5, 7, where Paul writes to the church and, and says to them, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Philippians 2, 15-16, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And then there's Hebrews 12 and verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And there are more scriptures that compare the Christian's life, this race of faith, to a running race. And so this evening I'd like for us to explore what it is that is trying to be communicated to us in this metaphor, and what can we learn from it? This race for believers is not an ordinary race. The Greek word for race is agon, from which we get our word agony. <laughs> the race is a contest in daily progress toward Christ-likeness. In many respects, we race not against opponents, but we race against ourselves. And so let's see what we can learn about running our Christian races of faith and finishing well from this metaphor that we see being used repeatedly in Scripture. And I'd like to raise just three points. And the first one is this. Make sure you enter for the right race. And make sure, secondly, that you get your race entry in on time. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus tells us about the two different races that we can choose from. We actually have an option. The race that has been set before Christians must be run on the way that leads to life. Jesus tells us plainly that the gate that leads to this race will be narrow and hard, but it leads to life. 
and only a few people enter that race. There is another race that can be chosen, the race that is run on the broad way, the world's race. In this race, the final aim is not the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a race that is focused on Jesus. Instead, it is a race that has various shallow goals in it. It is a race for financial success, a race for job success, for self-fulfillment, more materials, bigger and better homes, bigger income, more power and more status. And this, unfortunately, is the race that millions of people are running to, or choosing to run every day, filling their lives with more and more stuff. So there are therefore these two races that Jesus tells us about. The Christian race, the race of faith, people run by looking unto Jesus, the race of living a life in obedience to God's word, and then there's the race of the world which is fueled by materialism, consumerism, secularism, the race of the world. And then obviously also make sure that you get your entry, entry in by the cut-off date or you'll risk not getting a prize. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 3 tells us, and Paul writes to these believers, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 34, So you also must be ready because of the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So scripture communicates to us, I believe, quite clearly that there is a cut-off date. And unfortunately, after the cut-off date, no further race entries will be considered. The second point, train well. For our Christian race of faith, we train while we run. As we are running, we are constantly tweaking elements of our running style. We note how we perform under certain conditions. How do I perform when, I'm, when the road is going uphill? How do I perform when everything is going downhill and smooth running? And then those things that so easily ensnare us. Poor diet. Chocolate cause us to run less effectively. And Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 says to us, those are the kinds of things we need to lay aside. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 25 that we considered earlier tells us that as athletes who are running the race of faith, we ought to be exercising self-control. Athletes who are training for a race, and I'm sure many of you here have trained for an event before, limit themselves in terms of what they should and should not eat 
and they also set aside for themselves time in which they can train, and they guard that time so that they can get in enough training. And so there is an exercising of self-control that we need to do as well. And so too, we must set aside time for our training. And our training takes the form of spending time reading our race manuals. And our race manuals is the Bible. And we also spend time in prayer, speaking to our coach and following the instruction that our coach Jesus gives us, as well as lifting up our fellow runners in prayer. And then we also share with other runners information about the race. Perhaps you've handled a particular section of the course well, and so you encourage your fellow runners and you share resources with them because perhaps they don't have access to the kind of nutrition that they would need to run better, and so you would share some of that with them. Perhaps you take them along on a training run to an area where they could better experience different conditions. So you would be sowing into their lives so that they may become better athletes as well. And then if while you are running your race and you notice someone is, is deciding that they are wanting to drop out or maybe they are lagging behind in the race, we remind that them that it is never too late to get back on the road which leads to life. And we remember to encourage as many believers as we can while we are running our race. And the third point is run with purpose. Run to win. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. There has to be a reason, a motivation for you to keep running with endurance. I struggle. I remember when I tried, I mean, I don't run very well. Um, when I was at school, I ran for a stint, um, but that was shorter distances. Marathons were not for me. Um, up until today, I, I think I still hold on to the thought that running is for children and thieves. <laughs> and, so, and so I find it harder and harder to motivate myself. <laughs> Amen to that. But Paul says in Philippians 3 and verse 14, that we press on towards the prize to win the goal that Christ has called us to. And so even though there are times and sections in the race that we feel really depressed, perhaps there's been a section behind you where you haven't been eating well enough, or you've, you've dropped back in the training that, you, that you've had, or you've, you've missed the, the the team that runs, that does the early morning runs, or what do you call these runs that they do on a Saturday morning? Park runs. Perhaps you've missed a few park runs 
And so you start feeling it taking strain on you. And Paul encourages us that we should press on towards the prize. Because when we press on towards the prize, we will win the goal that Christ has called us to. And so I hope even that your being here this evening is a conscious part of you running your race. And that your being here this evening and your commitment to being here is part of your race strategy. And it is something that will continue to stand you in good stead for the harder uphills that lie ahead. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, as Paul nears the end of his life and he's in prison, he looks back and says that, he says of himself that he has been poured out as a drink offering. We read about drink offerings in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 15. And a drink offering is a, would have been a cup of wine that would have been poured out onto the, the altar fire along with an animal sacrifice. And Moses wrote that this drink offering was something that would create a pleasing aroma unto the Lord. And Paul, as he reflects on his life, he describes his service to the Lord here as a sacrifice, as a drink offering that had been poured out over the altar that he prays is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And in doing so, I believe that he challenges believers here, and that's us, to also make their lives, our lives, a living sacrifice, a drink offering that can be poured out. And so we should be people who, when we look back on the race that we have run, we should be able to say that our lives have been poured out as a drink offering. But for us to be able to get to the point where we can reflect on, our, on the races that we would have run, there must have been some things that we would have put in place so that we could come to the point of finishing well. And that would have been entering on the right time, the right race at least. Entering the right race and getting your race entry in on time. Spending time and setting time aside for training. Running with purpose. Because finishing well is not something that happens by accident. Finishing well is not something that you hope for and you fall into it. Finishing well is something that takes and demands strategy and commitment. Paul writes, and I close with this, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. He's saying here, don't stop until you cross the finish line. And he says here, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. In his old age, he writes this. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, 
the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I want to be someone who in my old age, when I reflect on my race, can say some of those words. And I want you to be someone as well, who in your old age, when you look back on the race that you've run, can say that I have kept the faith, that I have finished the race, that I have fought the good fight.